to the same shop. One's really well-dressed, well-spoken, very attractive-looking lady, and the other's dressed very shabbily and she's grubby and a bit rough in the way she speaks. And they both ask for the same product from the same shop assistant. And the different ways that they are treated are quite amazing. The attractive, well-dressed woman is helped by the assistant, taken to find the product and served with a smile. And the other woman is virtually ignored. And then some of you might have seen this on YouTube. Two men collapse in a public area. One is very well-dressed. The other one looks like a homeless person. And people rush to help the well-dressed guy and they just walk by the, the homeless guy. Or two women try to hail a cab and one is black and the other one is white. I saw this a few years ago in a documentary. And the white woman is always able to get a cab more quickly than the black woman. Uh, there was a woman who spent a day dressed in the traditional Muslim burqa. So she was covered head to toe in the, in the burqa that Muslim women wear. And the way she was treated compared to the way she normally would be treated was quite staggering. She was ignored, she was sniggered at, and she was, she was outright abused just because of what she was wearing. I saw one just this week um, where a disabled man who was used to being ignored and shunned in public, he dressed up in a bear suit and it was like a, a cuddly yogi bear sort of suit. And he had kids and adults hugging him and talking to him and smiling at him in ways that he had never experienced before being a, a disabled person. I read a story a little while ago about a church that called a new pastor. And on the day of his, this is an American church, on the day of his inauguration service, he dressed up as a homeless person. And he poured beer over his shabby clothes and he filled up a trolley with a whole lot of rubbish. And he arrived at the service with his trolley and he was completely ignored by the church people. He was given filthy looks and eventually someone asked him to leave. He was treated totally differently than if he'd turned up in a suit or looking well-dressed. And so I'm pretty sure that the congregation will never forget the shock that they experienced when the homeless guy revealed who he really was. He was actually their new pastor. So I wonder about us. Do we treat people differently because of their appearance? Are we more friendly to the good-looking, well-dressed, well-spoken people? Do we want to be friends with the good-looking, sporty, popular people at school or at uni? And we tend to ignore the overweight, pimply kid that's really quite dorky.
do we have deep-seated attitudes even about people who are a different race to us or a different faith to us? Now, most of you will know that we're in the middle of a series looking at the book of James. And we've seen that these first century Christians, they struggled with similar issues to ones that we struggle with today. And it seems that like us, these first century Christians struggled with prejudice or with showing favouritism or treating people differently because of their outward appearance. So I'll read to you what James has to say about this. Or if you've got your Bible with you, turn to James chapter 2. We're starting at verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favour some people over others? For example... Suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewellery and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonour the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in scriptures, love your neighbour as yourself. But if you favour some people over others, you're committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. So remember James is speaking to the early church two believers and he gives an example he says say someone comes into your gathering to your church meeting and they're well dressed they've got fancy clothes on and expensive jewelry and someone else comes in who is dressed in dirty shabby clothes and you pay lots of attention to the well-dressed man you find him a good seat you welcome him And you ignore the poorly dressed man, you pay no attention to him and make him sit up the back. So, say for example, this happened, James says, and it's one of those cryptic type of accusations. Like when I say to my kids, 
This is back in the day when I had lots of kids at home. <laughs> I was thinking this week, I'm going to have to get different ways to give examples because I haven't got kids anymore. Um, I have got kids, but they're not at home. Like when I would say to my kids, say, for example, if one of you, just for example, left the empty toilet rolls on the floor in the toilet, and if that happened, just say, I would be pretty upset, wouldn't I? And they'd squirm and they'd probably discreetly leave the room and bolt to the toilet to pick up the toilet rolls that they knew were there. So James says, say for example this happened. And we get the sense that his listeners are squirming because they know that what he's describing has actually happened. So let's have a look a little bit more closely at what James says about the idea of prejudice because he doesn't just say, don't do it. He actually explains in some detail why this kind of behaviour has no place in the family of God. But first, there's a challenge. Verse 1 says, How can you claim to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ when you favour some people over others. I wonder if that new pastor said that to his new church as he stood in the pulpit dressed as a homeless man. I wonder if he says, well, guys, you can't honestly expect me to believe that you're Christians, can you? Now that I've seen how you treated me because I was dressed differently and I smelled a bit... James doesn't pull any punches, does he? He actually starts by questioning their salvation. He says, if you behave like this, then the question must be asked whether or not you're actually a Christian. How often do we read things on Facebook or we hear things said in conversation by people who claim to be Christians? How often do we hear it in our own words? Or worse still, in our own thoughts? James says, honestly guys, how can you claim to be Christians when you treat people this way? There's no place for prejudice, for discrimination, for favouritism, not in God's family. We're called to be like Jesus. And the example of his life, how he lived, how he behaved, the people he hung out with, the things that he taught, confirms the challenge of James. That favouritism, discrimination, prejudice, they're not compatible with the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. John 13.35 says, By this will all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So does the way that you treat other people declare that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? Or does the way that you treat other people question whether you have a faith or not? That's a challenging question, isn't it? But 
But that isn't the only challenge that James gives us. Back in the 1960s in America, segregation of white and black people was still part of life. So blacks didn't mix with whites in schools, in churches, in restaurants, in public places. And at this time, a white journalist named John Howard Griffin decided to undergo treatment by a dermatologist to make his skin black. And then for six weeks, he lived as a black man. And then he wrote about his experience in a book which became an international bestseller called Black Like Me. And the impact of that book was huge for a number of reasons, but mainly because it forced white people to put themselves into the shoes of black people and to really think about what life was like for a black person living in the 60s in America. Someone whose judgments are guided by good motives puts themselves in the shoes of other people. It's a lot harder to show prejudice when you seriously consider what must life be like for that other person. Someone whose judgments are guided by good motives does that, puts the other person first, the good of the other person first. Someone whose judgments are guided by good motives lives their life in line with the teachings of Jesus who taught us to be good and kind and gentle, to give the very coat off our back if that's what someone needs. In verse 4, James says that hearts and thoughts and words and actions that show prejudice and favoritism and discrimination, they are guided by evil motives. They don't put the good of the other person first. They're not guided and motivated by a desire to be like Jesus. Why don't you try something this week? When you come into contact with people, as you definitely will at school or work or at the shops, consciously make an effort to ask yourself, what must life be like for that person? That person that's maybe really overweight or not very bright or is looking a bit scruffy or dirty. And then ask yourself, how would Jesus treat that person? How would Jesus speak to him or her? What would the attitude of Jesus' heart be to that person? And then see whether doing that actually changes your attitude. Our hearts, our thoughts, our motives should be filled with grace and love and acceptance. Anything else, James says, is just plain evil. We talked a few weeks ago about God's heart for the poor. Do you remember these verses? Uh, Job 34, He does not favour the rich over the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. Psalm 140, verse 12, I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds, upholds the cause of the needy. 
Luke 6, 20 and 21. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. In verse 5, James reminds his readers again, and he reminds us that God has a special place in his heart for the poor. Verse 5 says, Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? Discriminating against people because they are poor is totally out of sync with the heart of God. As is showing favoritism for the rich. Remember the things that we learned about God's attitude to the rich? 1 Timothy 6.9 For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Luke 12.15 Life is not measured by how much you own. Matthew 6.24 You cannot serve God and money. And Matthew 19.24 It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. James says in verse 6, hang on a minute, isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus, whose noble name you bear? It's true, isn't it? So often the ones that we favour, the ones that we pander to, the popular group at school, the fancy dresses, the rich, they're the ones that are the oppressors. They're the ones that will give us the flick the minute we don't meet their needs. Don't be seduced, James says, by their wealth. God doesn't show favoritism. James's final warnings in verses 8 to 13 are pretty sobering. James says, you're so strict about obeying the law. You follow the Ten Commandments. You make sure you don't murder. You don't commit adultery. But don't forget that the law is summed up by Jesus this way. And he quotes a part of this verse from Mark chapter 12, verse 30. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. James says... You're obeying the Ten Commandments, but you're forgetting the most important commandment. Love your neighbour as yourself. That neighbour that you call a bogan. That kid that you call a retard. That boy that you call a wog. The person that you laugh at because they dress differently to you or they look different to you. The woman that you laugh at because she wears a burqa. James says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. I'm going to read that again in case you didn't hear it. It's verse 13 of James chapter 2. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you.
I decided when I was reading this passage and as I prepared this message this week that I need to take the warning of this passage seriously. I need to be more aware of the way that I discriminate against people in my thoughts, in my words and in my actions. Maybe some of you feel that way too. If you do, maybe you'd like to pray this prayer with me. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, your word challenges me because I know that in the privacy of my thoughts and in my words and even in my actions that often I don't show mercy. I don't love my neighbour like I love myself. Maybe if they're nice people and they're well-dressed and they're attractive, I do, but if they're not, well, not always. Lord, tonight I want to say I'm sorry for that. And I want to ask that you would help me to be merciful and gracious and loving to all people. Please make me aware of the times when I'm not and help me to change my thoughts, my words and my actions so that people would look at the way that I love people and know that I am a follower of Jesus Christ and that through me you would always be glorified. Help me, Lord Jesus, because I can't do this on my own. Amen. Amen.